You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonapussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone of willy or clone of pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone of willy or clone of pussy kit right now, head over to cloneawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to mm-hmm. therapists before and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to like fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it. You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it. What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's like so great and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and while 
that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com. And you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bump and Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's www.getbumpin.com. And you can pre-order your very own Bump and Joystick right now, or... You can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this bonus episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your delectably daddy disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this bonus episode started, shall we? I was looking around the server where I keep all my files after I record, and I found one that I had been meaning to release last August that I recorded last July, and I was like, oh, fuck, I haven't released this one yet. And I was like, I have to get this one out. And then I was like, when can I release it? And I was like, wait, I'm the boss. I can do a bonus episode whenever I want. Yeah! So I thought, why not give you wonderful listeners a bonus episode and one that I've been wanting you to hear for a very long time. This was such an important conversation. I sit down with my new friend, Maisha Eloni, who is a biracial woman who is morbidly obese, who also has bipolar 2, and we talk about her experiences coming to terms with, with being disabled and having bipolar 2. Also, some of her experiences 
being a surprise institutionalized in Philadelphia when trying to figure out her diagnosis of bipolar 2. We also have a really frank and I'm going to put a content warning here. We do talk quite heavily in this episode about things like sexual assault, things like self-harm, things like suicidality. There are there are a couple places where that is discussed here. So if this is an episode and these topics are ones that you find a little bit too heavy, it's okay if you want to skip this one, no problem. But we do also talk a lot about Maisha's experience with kink and disability and body positivity and blackness. And there's so much that goes on in this conversation that I'm really, really excited for you to hear. Um, I love being able to talk with her about just all the things around kink, disability, bipolar 2, so many things were talked about here, and I just loved, it was like, really, when, when we recorded this, as you hear me say in the interview, we'd only been talking for like a few weeks at that point, and it was like sitting down with my new best disabled friend for this interview, and I really hope when you listen to us banter and be silly, that's what you glean from this interview, but it was important to hear her talk about things like Things like, do we consider fatness a disability? Do we consider mental illness a disability? We talk about... But then we move into, like like I said, really cool conversations around kink and disability in the body and so many things. And while we go into some heavy stuff, we also keep it light and fun and relatable. And I hope that you enjoy this episode, this bonus episode that I'm putting out today on this Wednesday, April 6th. Thank you so much for supporting the show and for supporting me. And if you want to be a guest on the show, I have a couple of things to say about that too. I want you all as guests. Sometimes, because I don't have a team behind me, sometimes, in fact, a lot more times than I, than I like to admit, I have to move dates around that you pick from my calendar. I have to move them around to fit my needs and to fit my disabilities. So if you were thinking of coming on and I had to reschedule or cancel a date or anything like that, I really do apologize. I am a one-man show here and I'm doing my best to get all this stuff out to you. So I would really appreciate it if you want to sign up to go and be on my show. Of course, you can do that by going to my website, andrewgerza.com, and there should there, there is also a link in the show notes here where you can sign up please consider coming on the show and shining a light on your disability story. But enough of my rambling. Get ready for this awesomely important bonus episode with my friend, Maisha Lonai, right now on Disability After Dark. Maisha Lonai, hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. It's so weird because literally before I press record, we talked for like half an hour. So it's weird that I have to like put on my... my <laughs> My pretend professional podcaster voice, but hey, how are you? Good, really good. No, it's it. You're right. It is funny. It's like <laughs> I have no idea who you are. Tell me about yourself. I know it's such a like, it's such a weird. It's a weird thing. But anyway, but the audience has no idea who you are. So if you could introduce yourself to us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Okay. So I am. Um, a kinky, queer, biracial, um, you can call me a woman or a 
uh, non-binary person who works at a center for independent living for people with disabilities um, in the Philadelphia region. And I also volunteer with Disability Pride. And I think I actually almost associate more with disability or yeah, Disability Pride than I do with my job because I work so much with Disability Pride. Um, and I do a lot of random acting stuff, um, nice. but unofficially, unofficially. I didn't know that about you. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. What, what kind of acting stuff do you do? So I do improv work um, and I do a lot of street theater, which you did know about me because I talked about doing Renaissance fairs. Oh, I and- did know that. Yes, I, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I so, want to talk to you about the accessibility of Ren Fairs. Oh my gosh. Yes. We'll we get there. We'll that. get there. 100%. Uh, before we dive into that, can you. Actually, what is my question? Can you <laughs> tell me what your disabilities are and can you describe how they impact you both negatively and positively? Okay, sure thing. So I am bipolar. And I have PTSD and I have a lot of other like little disabilities around it, or maybe they're not little, I don't know. Um, Like I am morbidly obese. I have sleep apnea, um, other stuff, but those are the big ones. And they are for the most part, invisible disabilities, except for the fact that I'm fat. Most people don't consider that a disability, Um, but you can see it. You could see it. Big question for you that I that I didn't write down. I'm gonna ask. Wah, wah, big question. Big, <laughs> <laughs> big question. Do you consider being fat a disability for yourself? Okay, so I use the ADA's definition of disability to define dis- disability, right? So um, for those of you in Canada, that's the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Canada very well. This we might don't be have, like, we don't have a, no, 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 we don't have a Canadian with Disabilities Act yet. It's being worked on. But oh, yeah. You guys been, need to get on that. We've been saying that for years now. Uh, so we don't have one, but we have provincial disability laws. Like we have one for Ontario. We have one for all the provinces. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. I hope you, you get something like that soon. But in the Americans with Disabilities Act, the definition of disability is any condition that affects a major life function. So for me, being morbidly obese affects things like my ability to walk. Um, it affects things like going to the bathroom. Um, it affects things like my ability to sleep. Um, it gives me chronic pain. So yeah, I mean in a lot of ways that is a disability it it's potentially a temporary one um but you know i mean you could you could consider it that and do you consider it that for like the purposes of like your day to day if you were um, i'm asking more in terms of like like you know support like do you do you use it to do do you use that definition to say I have morbid obesity, therefore I need SSI or I need, you know, supports. So I'm not on SSI. Um, I am very privileged. I am very lucky. I do not need government benefits. Um, Must be nice. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it is fucking nice. I am really fucking lucky. And that is one of the reasons that I work at a center for independent living for people with disabilities, because the least I can do is fucking give back. Right. So 
you can just support my Patreon at whatever level you like. Patreon. <laughs> Do you want to give the website for that right now? I think yeah. this is a good opportunity. Right <laughs> Patreon.com slash disability after dark. Whatever you'd like to. That's no, I'm kidding. <laughs> will you will you thank me and will you give me a shout out? And yeah, uh... <laughs> I'll give you a weird, sexy shout out pun name. Yeah, yes, I will. Okay, after the show, I'm going to go and commit to $5 a month. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. And that also means that if you did the $5 a month one, if you wanted to, you could build a show with me so we can put a show together. Oh my God, uh, that would be awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm down for that. But anyway, so so Morbidly Obese, um, did you say bipolar yet? Yeah, I did say bipolar. Um, that actually is first and foremost, the one that I associate with as a disability, um, mostly because God, that affects so much. Um, it affects things like, you know, well, for one, whether or not I'm going to be alive, um, (laughs) it affects things like whether or not I am connected with the real world at any given moment. Um, It affects things like whether or not I can get to work on time or, you know, out socially on time um, or at all. Or out, yeah, or out. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Um, And a lot of people with bipolar disorder, they have bipolar disorder type one, which means they have moments of mania. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know which. Um, I have bipolar disorder type two, which means I tend to be more depressive than anything else. Although it is coupled with this like wild anxiety, which tends to be my substitute for mania. So anxious all the time oh yeah it's rocking everyone should try it (laughs) so hardcore yeah so um how does that affect me uh positively I would say I have to deal with this stuff all of the time so I have learned a lot about self-regulation um and I've developed a lot of coping mechanisms for that. So I can be put in really dangerous situations and actually stay pretty focused about, okay, this is how we're going to break it down. This is how we're going to evaluate it. This is how I'm going to get through it. Like I've literally like been in a war zone and okay, here's how I'm going to negotiate this. Not a problem. Um, On the other hand, um, Well, it also makes me like, I think so many people with disabilities are, it makes me really creative and it forces me to adapt to different things. Like, okay, I know I have this problem. So um, here's how I'm going to deal with the fact that I dissociate. I am going to make sure that I have a timer on at work so that every hour I can check in with myself and make sure that the to-do list that I have, some things are checked off or, you know, I'm going to make sure that I am really jazzed about these items and I do them at this time and whatever it happens to be. Um, And I think that a lot of people with disabilities like get creative about the way that they have to operate with their daily lives. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the things I'd love to understand from you with having bipolar, and I'm sure I've had other guests that have it. I just can't remember who they are at the moment, but I'm sure I have. (laughs) Um, I'm wondering for you, could, how does being bipolar one, right? Two, I'm type two. I I yeah. was paying attention. I promise. Uh, oh, okay. Bipolar one. Bipolar. Tier two, right? 
I'm two. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Yep, got it. Yep, paying attention. Um, <laughs> uh, how does having bipolar two, what does it feel like? So for me, because I don't want to speak to everybody's experience, everybody is unique, right? Um, for me, this manifests like depression. Like there are days where I will just sleep forever. Um, and I get up and I'm like, there's, there's just no point to life. Um, or like, I have no reason to be here or I am just a weight on everything and everybody. And like my dog who I love would be better off with other people. Um, I take away from my parents. I'm just a weight and a burden on everybody. And it would just be better if I weren't on this planet. Um, or like, I have nothing to do and all of the things that I love, like, I don't give a crap about them and nothing gives me any kind of joy at all. Um, and then, you know, I really get fixated on stuff. Um, is it okay if I talk about suicidal ideation? Yeah, we can go there. Okay. So content warning, anybody who's about to listen, we're going to talk about suicide. So that makes you uncomfy, um, skip off for like two minutes. (laughs) that's a good idea so especially before I got the proper medication there would be I don't think there would be a day or an hour um, that I wasn't obsessing about how I was going to exit the planet so that was that that is is pretty much my experience, and I think a lot of people with depression can relate to that, my experience of, of being bipolar. Um, and the way that that would affect me was like, I, I could not get to work on time. Um, people would joke that I would be late to my own funeral. Um, oh no, <laughs> like, which only like fueled what you were already thinking inside. Yeah, right. Um, or I, like I did not have a social life if people did care about me and were trying to get me to do things it would take months for us to connect with each other like not just weeks not days and attempts it would take us months because otherwise you know I would like either hyperventilate and not be able to connect with them and wind up crying in a heap on the floor or um you know I I just didn't feel like it because I had no joy in it and I would find excuses not to connect with people or um you know sometimes I just didn't know that I had bipolar disorder um or I denied that I had bipolar disorder or any kind of problem um because when I was a younger kid like you didn't you didn't talk about this sort of thing and you know in you in your you know growing up years yeah like you know in the in the late 70s and early 80s like the, there we didn't there wasn't language for that really yet there no like, you're 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 depressed or you're ang- anxious or you're crazy or like there was not language for you have this disorder right right yeah I have this clear memory of my mother who is now one of my biggest advocates she's great um but in the 80s when I was a kid like she distinctly told me, yeah, psychologists, I don't get them. They're just quacks and it's a fake kind of medicine. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know, that's not surprising for the time. That's not surprising for what people thought then. You know, mm-hmm. That's not surprising for what people think now. Um, yeah. Um, so what was it like? What was the diagnosis, the diagnosis process like for you, especially as a, as a person of color, a, a biracial person, like that had to be some shit. So it, God, it was such a weird process. I don't really think race. God, it's hard to know when race comes into anything because it's pervasive, right? Yeah. So, because it's not something we're supposed to talk about, so but it's always there, but we're not allowed to really say we're not allowed to like give it a name for the most part. Well, part of it is just I don't know when doctors look at me and are like they make presumptions about who and what I am, and so they give me these diagnoses diagnoses based on their presumptions, yeah, versus like they give me diagnoses based on what they authentically see. Um so it's, it is just hard to say, like, I can tell you people do that on the street all the time. And it's oh, yeah. really easy to tell when that happens sometimes, but with doctors, it's not always easy to tell. Yeah. You never know what their mannerisms are. And, you know, they've been schooled on how to remove themselves from any emotion. Yeah. So you don't know until like they say yeah. something horrible or do something horrible, but tell me more about the diagnostic process for you. Okay. So the first time that I realized there was probably something really wrong, I was in college. Um, and I knew that I had some sort of like affect disorder or something. Um, because I would just like, you know, sit in the corner of my bedroom and kind of like cut on myself with a pair of scissors because I felt bad about who I was and stuff like that. And I would bleed and I couldn't feel it. Um, so like a lot of people, have self-harming tendencies and there are a lot of reasons that they do that it's not always suicide like it's it's not suicide it's a coping mechanism um and I don't want to shame anybody for doing that in fact a lot of people I've talked to think it's a very positive thing um so you know if you do self-harm absolutely talk with you know a therapist about it and make your own decisions about what that means um but for me it was weird because I couldn't feel it and um, a little bit later in college, one day I was, I was walking down the street and I noticed I had been dragging my knuckles against um, some corrugated brick and I'd taken the skin off of all of my knuckles and I was bleeding like really hard yeah. and I, I couldn't feel that either. And I don't have a lack of feeling in my hands, so I should have noticed Um, but even after I saw it, I just like saw the gravel and stuff like that in my knuckles. So (laughs) I, yeah. Right. (laughs) Sexy. So I was like, okay, maybe this is a problem. And I'd been doing like the suicidal ideation and stuff like that. And I realized like, okay, I've gotten to this point where either I am going to decide, like, I want to commit suicide or I'm going to do something about this. And once you commit suicide, like you can't go, oh, that was a bad idea. I'm going to come back from this and change my mind. Yeah. Like, so why don't I give talking to a doctor about this first a chance? So I went to a doctor um, 
at my college and they looked at me and they're like, oh yeah, it sounds like you've got depression. Here's a script. And they gave me a prescription for like, whatever. I think it was Prozac at that time. That was the most popular. And like, literally it was just like, they looked at me, they asked a couple questions. They made a few check marks on a clipboard and they sent me away. It was like, that is so impersonal and terrifying. I don't know how I feel about that. And I completely left it alone after that. And it wasn't for years that I actually like got therapy and got the help that I needed. Wow. Yeah. So, but that was my first indication that really there might be something authentic. Um, And it wasn't until a lot later that, you know, we realized I didn't have clinical depression. I had bipolar disorder. And what was that day like? What was that day when, when they like told you, was it exciting? (laughs) Was it scary? Like, what was that? What was that experience like for you? Oh my God, that was terrifying. Okay. So, um, I had been working by that point, I had established my career and I was an attorney and I was working in legal education. Hot. Good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And my colleagues realized that I wasn't functioning well at work at all. And this is the first time in my life that happened because I really have been career focused my entire life. And I had this new job and my three month probationary period had passed and I failed it. And they said, okay, we know you, we don't wanna terminate you. So we're gonna give you another three months to see how you perform. And over that three months, they caught me um, like with a will that I had drafted and like a bunch of paraphernalia for self-harm in my desk. And they were like, okay, this is bad. We're going to send you to our employee assistance program and they are going to refer you to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And so I went and they were like, we think you need to go to, you know, an inpatient program for psychiatric help. Right. I was like, I don't think I need that. If you really think I have a problem, then maybe I can get some outpatient therapy, but that's as far as I need to go. And they're like, um, okay, would you be willing to get a second opinion? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll get a second opinion because I think you're nuts. Um, (laughs) and they gave me an address. So I went to this practice and I walked in and the door locked behind me and I couldn't open it. Uh, what? Exactly. Uh, excuse me. Uh Uh-huh. No. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, right? No, no, no. Pope of Nope. So when I went to like the reception, I was like, hi, I'm here for an evaluation. And they're like, for who? I was like, for myself. And they're like, you came in for yourself? I was like, yeah, um, my employee assistance program sent me here and they said I should get an evaluation. They're like, oh, okay, give us all your belongings and just sit over there. It was like, uh... Do they trick you into doing an inpatient? Yeah. What? Jeez. No. <sighs> okay. Well, this is going to be a question later, but here we are. How, how, how did it feel to be surprised institutionalized? I was horrified. Like, okay. So again, in the States, or at least in Pennsylvania, whatever, there are two types of institutionalization, right? There's a 201 and a 302. A 201 is a code for voluntarily institutionalizing yourself. And then there's a 302 
for being forcibly institutionalized. Okay. If you volunteer to institutionalize yourself, then that comes with a lot of assumption that you're being rational, you know, and you're taking care of yourself medically. Right. If you're 302, then there's an assumption that you can't take care of yourself anymore. And you've got, you know, some serious problems. And if I had been 302, I would have lost my legal license. So because I was locked into this place and I didn't want to lose my legal license, I had to volunteer, quote, volunteer. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. So I was just like, what the crap? I just wanted an eval and hopefully to have someone say like, okay, yeah, you need a therapist, like talk therapy and some meds. And as it turned out, you know, when I saw someone, they were like, yeah, you need talk therapy and some meds, but we need to get you off the medication that you're on for clinical depression, because that's giving you suicidal ideation. And we need to get you on the proper meds for bipolar disorder, because that's going to help stabilize you. And until you get on those medications, we can't ethically let you leave. We need to put you on suicide watch. And that was the worst experience of my life. Like I'm very grateful for the proper diagnosis and I'm very grateful for the fact that I got the right meds because they have like radically changed my experience of living. But the process of getting there was traumatizing as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. Wow. The door you walked in and the door fucking locked behind you. Like, what are we in fucking saw? What the hell? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And then there was this guy who was like watching me all night long. And I remember clearly he had like this ringtone that was this woman moaning, like she was in porn. Right. Which, I mean, I don't mind a woman moaning as if she's having this great orgasm. That's fine with me, but like, not while I'm trying to sleep, not to mention the roommate that I had in there had been raped, gang raped by 10 people. And so like having this ringtone go off in the middle of the night while we were both trying to sleep, traumatizing my poor roommate. Oh, oh my God. God. It was the worst thing. Just you know? to get a diagnosis of, you have to go through all this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and goodness. it was just like, there were so many things that were wrong with that place. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, I, I have a lot of sympathy now. I don't know. I can't say I know what it's like, but I have a lot of sympathy for people who are stuck in nursing homes and can't get out because I can only imagine how many nursing home experiences are similar to what I have and so much longer. Yeah. And so much more, just, you're so much more dependent on somebody for the basic life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't live in a nursing home, but I live in assisted living here in Canada. And it's, you know, it's okay. But at any moment, shit could turn. You don't know. You don't know who you're getting. Mm-hmm. You never know who's, you never know who, who, I mean, I know the majority of the staff that I work with now, but there are moments where you don't know who's coming in. You don't know what their affect is. You don't know who they are. And you have to let them do really intimate shit to you that you're like mm, this feels weird. so yeah 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 right. so how do you feel now that you've been 
you know, what was it like to like get out of there? Oh my God. I was so happy when I finally got out. I wasn't better yet, you know, because the meds, like I, I wasn't, I was detoxed. Right. But I wasn't yet. I didn't have enough of the buildup of the mood stabilizers that I was actually stabilized. I was just detoxed. Um, so I left and I pretty much was just depressed without being suicidal. Right. Um, so I got home, I was mortified. I'd missed calling my mother for her birthday. And so, yeah, because we couldn't use the phone. Right. So I had to call my parents and they were like, where were you? And I had to tell them about this experience. And of course they freaked out. Um, And, you know, they wanted to be with me every second of my life. And I was like, no, no, no. I just got my independence back. Don't, (laughs) please don't do this. Yeah, Don't cloister me. I need to get the, I need to be like, leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did not know how to adjust, but um, yeah, I just, it was wild. But once I finally did get a psychiatrist and I got onto the medication that I needed, like, I remember how gradually it started to work and how like one day I didn't feel like killing myself. Yay. I know it was just like, Oh my God, I had a day with this break. And it was such a mental break. It was amazing. And then like one day, not only did I not feel like killing myself, I was like, I really like this person and I want to go hang out with them. Wow. I know. Right. Trip. And then <laughs> like, I, it kept I building. can't do that now. And I am not on any kind of medication for, for bipolar. I can't do it. So congrats to you. I am going to come visit you. If I mean, you want that. I do want that. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. come visit you. <laughs> amazing. I think more people should come visit you if that's something that you want. They should come visit me and CUM visit me too. Uh, (laughs) It's all, it's, yes, yes, they should. Um, Yeah. Listeners, write to Andrew if you want to visit Andrew and be like, gmail.com. Don't be a creeper. (laughs) Come visit me, but don't be weird. Don't be weird. Uh, um, So this is a great segue to shift gears to question two. That whole big long diatribe was only one question, and now we're on question two. Um, <laughs> Sorry, amazing. No, I love it. Amazing. Um, so one of the ways we met was through a kink panel at Disability Pride PA. Mm-hmm. And we've upon the time of this recording, this will probably come out in August or September, but upon the time of this recording, it is July 4th. Oh, happy Independence Day, America! Um, but it's July 4th, and I've only been talking to Maisha for like three weeks, mm-hmm. basically, and we were we've been talking we talked at least at least two or three times a week, um, probably more. Uh, so it feels very weird to like do a show like this because we anyway the big long diatribe for like we know each other and one of the ways we met was through disability a kinkability panel at at, at disability pride PA. So I have questions for you about your kink. Yay. I want to go there. So my question about your, for your kink for you is, is, um, talk to me about your experiences in kink spaces as a now fat, disabled, black, but I don't I won't say black, I'll say biracial woman. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So first of all, kink gave me so much back. That was definitely part of my like coming out of depression experience because all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I can do all of these things that were in my head, but had been suppressed by all of this emotional overhead that I had trying to stop myself from doing really horrible things. And I was like, oh my God, this would be incredibly sexy. And I started looking around on OkCupid and I found like people who wanted to play and stuff like that. And I did it very badly. <laughs> like I did dangerous things. Um, oh. Yeah, because I didn't know. I had no education about kink whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that one of my good friends who I'd been working with um, actually hosted a kink um, event every month in um, the town I live in. Like a month, right? No, like he organizes a kink event like where we all go like a public play party oh nice yeah yeah I mean I think there's a bunch associated with it but that's hosted by somebody else um and it's it's fabulous so I was like oh yeah I totally want to go to this let me check it out and it was amazing I met so many of my friends who I didn't know were kinky who were like yeah I'll play with you. Sure. Let's talk things over. And they talked to me about the right way to engage with kink. And I saw a lot of different bodies at this particular event. Like, I don't know what all kink spaces are like. Um, I've been to a few and they're all very different. Um, but this particular public play party, they had people who were disabled, people who were able-bodied. They had people who were like clearly just in their 20s. They had people who were probably in their 70s walking around. I love how people who, people in their 20s was the whole category. You're like, they had disabled people. They had able-bodied people. They had people just in their 20s. I love how people in their 20s were just a straight up category. Yes, correct. <laughs> well, I just was blown away by the fact that like, um, like it didn't matter what your age was, what your race was, what your body type was, what anything was like any type of category was there, you know, and it created a lot of body positivity for me because the instant I saw somebody who was probably in their seventies walking around naked, except for a diaper and a baby bonnet, I was like, okay, I can walk around naked in this room. And if they can accept this person, they can accept me and I am like over 350 pounds. All right. And um, I did it. And I will not lie. I still get nervous about doing stuff like that. Uh, feels like jumping in a cold pool every time. But <laughs> like, it's, it's affirming being able to accept my body for what it is. Um, but there are still some racial issues that come up despite it. Um, and some of them are, are weird and I feel deprived because of them. Like um, there are some people I'm, usually when I play, I'm a bottom. I do top some things, but I can't top pain. So usually I just play as a bottom, um, okay. which I like more. And I like impact play. 
right? Um, so I like being flogged. I like being paddled. I like being spanked. All of that stuff is great. Um, and there are a lot of people who won't flog me or won't whip me because they're like, well, you're, you're black. And that just brings up too many negative associations um, for me with slavery. And I'm like, yeah, but see, slaves weren't like, please flog me. <laughs> please whip mm-hmm. me. <laughs> I want this. This turns me on. <laughs> like, that was a very different situation. But I also can't tell people what to feel. Um, so it's a lot It's a lot harder to find partners. Um, there are also a large contingent of people who are Black who are like, why are you doing that? You are putting yourself in a situation where you're a slave. I'm sorry, I'm hearing some sort of beeping around here. Yeah, I heard it too. That's going away. All right. Your smoke detector? I don't know. I'm at Jeremy's house, so I don't know what that is. Cool. I'll just pretend like it's not there. So yeah, so other black people are telling you that you shouldn't do it because you're putting yourself at risk. Yeah, well, not at risk, but they, you know, they like have this moral um, opposition to it because they don't want people who look black like me. Um, And, you know, I'll tell people I'm biracial and then I'll also tell people I'm black depending like whatever I feel like that day. Um, But like, they don't want people to um, see me and think slave. Um, And that is one thing that I won't call myself. Like if somebody wants is topping me and they want me to call them master or they want to call me slave, I will say, no, that's a hard no for me. I won't do that. Um, That's something I feel very uncomfortable with. Um, And, you know, the black community is really down on that. And I'm like, okay, but I like impact play. And I feel like that's a privilege I should have. And you shouldn't be able to take that away from me because of your assumptions of what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a whole lot of stuff that I'm just going to say, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot that goes along with being a person of color. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, racism that happens. Um, and then a question of like, how does the kink community police itself? Um, because there's so much stigma around kink that... Yep you know, it's hard to go to the court system if you have problem um, because, you know, the, the, the feedback court system is not designed for, they don't understand what it is. They're like, well, that what? No. Yeah. Like you asked for it. You know, you put yourself in this position where you could be, you know, raped Abused, and you like it or, or yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah, whatever. Um, so if, you know, something happens that's a problem in terms of, you know, how you were treated because of your race or your disability or whatever. Um, It's really hard to go to law enforcement or to the courts or something like that and ask for redress. So we have to police that within our own community. And so we wind up forming these like, um, you know, racial security organizations. I've been on one of them. And even that is really limited because how much can we do on top of our normal job and with no training? Yeah. So, and so how is, and so we, we, and so how is your disability, how are your disabilities perceived in a kink space? 
You know, I am able to hide quite a bit um, because I have an invisible disability. Yeah. Um, one of the things that does come up is when I negotiate, I have to be really careful to say like, okay, you know, these are the things that I like to do. These are the things that I don't like to do. Please be careful with me because I do sometimes dissociate when I'm feeling really intensely about something. Um, so check in with me on a regular basis to make sure that I'm still coherent in there so I don't get hurt. Yeah. Um, and then when that comes up, I have to worry about whether or not people think like, oh, she's just fucking nuts. I don't want to interact with her at all. And there's always the question of, you know, when do I disclose this? How do I disclose this? Um, again, something I think a lot of people with disabilities face when they're looking at a new partner. Or just, you know, friendship or just going to the store. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> Every day, all the time. Um, right. But do you find that... Um, you know, having those discussions with partners about the possibility you might dissociate, having those discussions, are they, are they received well, or is it? It depends yeah. on the person. Some of, some people I've known um, have bailed. And that actually turns out to be a really good thing um, because it helps limit my partnerships to people who stick around and know how to work with me. Yeah. Um, so that's been really good. And I will also say, my experiences with kink are actually really good for my headspace um, because they draw my attention to, you know, one experience or one sensation that's so intense. It's all I have to focus on. Um, and it's great. Like it's so much freedom for me. And I don't know like if everybody has that experience or not. Um, but I find kink to be really helpful and, and cathartic when I need to feel something. So kink allows you to do the thing in like muggle life that, yeah. you, that you couldn't do before, which is the hyper, hyper fixate. Kink allows you to do that in a safe space. And so it like scratches that disability itch of the bipolar, but doesn't allow it to go to the scary spots. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's definitely safe because we've negotiated it. Everybody knows what's going on. They're checking in on me. I'm, you know, and I'm checking in on them too. Um, and, and everything works out. And then, you know, I'm able to get things out of my system and usually able to return to my muggle life and be a lot more functional. How do you think we make kink spaces more accessible to people with invisible disabilities? Do you want to write a book right now? Because I'll give you the whole hour. Just say what I really want to be like, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think kink just needs to be more accessible in general. Yeah, yeah but I'd love to hear, I totally, but I'd love to hear, because I always talk about how, you know, for me as a, a wheelchair user, we need like ramps, we need buttons, we need elevators, we need, you know, physical access to the spaces. But I'd love to hear from you as somebody with an invisible disability, how does accessibility look different yeah. in the kink space for somebody with an invisible disability like you? Yeah. Okay. So there are a few things. First of all, like we need a quiet room to actually be quiet. Um, like if there is going to be a space for like aftercare, after a scene, 
let it be a space where people can go or or maybe a separate room completely where where people can go where there isn't like somebody having sex on your foot you know mm-hmm. there isn't like um someone you know groaning because they're having orgasms or something like that but just a place where you can go that's quiet and you can recenter yourself um and like especially if you have sensory overload or something like that there is nothing that's going to overload you that would be a wonderful thing um i would also love to have more education at least on um the part of dungeon monitors um just on what different types of individual or invisible disabilities are out there yeah i think that is so crucial and we don't do that enough because you know even you and I just saying invisible disabilities right now, there are so many that that encompasses. Like, what are, what, yeah. are we, what are we talking about? So yeah, I think I think having a, a kink, like I just did the kink ability with you for, for disability pride a few weeks ago, by the time this comes out, like months ago. But, you know, it would be cool to do one that's just for people with invisible disabilities. Yeah. Like, I think that would be so valuable. And mm-hmm. those, that kind of educational piece is, is really necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be nice to have people who could go and say like, hey, you know, this person is, you know, seizing right now. So why don't we stop, you know, setting them on fire? Why don't we stop like electric, whatever, you know, or like this person isn't actually, you know, responding to X right yeah, now. Or like, they're having a trauma response. That we yeah. Need to get them out of this thing and make them feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, or like have things available like blankets or, you know, like whatever. Music or like whatever yeah. keeps them calm. Like, Okay, let's go. What for you, in not not in a king space necessarily, but just in space. If you're having a really intense invisible disability moment, what makes you calm? Yeah. Um, so for me, <laughs> it's um, okay. I I don't remember the exact title of it, so I'm gonna butcher it, right? But box cello suites, um, in G. I want to say minor played by yo-yo ma amazing yeah not (laughs) at all what i was expecting you to say but cool no um okay i know this is weird but something that i'm really familiar with just on repeat so i can just be like okay this is my thing i'm gonna hold it and it's gonna hold me and i'm gonna be with it so it's like when i put on fraser at night to fall asleep because i know what's going to happen in every episode. And I've seen it a thousand times. And I don't care. I'm like, yeah. If I put this on, it'll come for me and I'll go to sleep. Yeah. that. Yeah. It's like the blanket that you have around you to make you feel okay. Yeah. 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 That's like, if I'm having a really bad time, that's what I need. Sometimes like I zone out and I play a video game or something like that, but that's when I'm at home. So when I'm out, um, you know, like having something there with me, even if it's just like a person, I'll tell them to like rub my earlobe because that will, that's really soothing. And that's something an ex-girlfriend of mine used to do. Um, and it really got to be a comfort thing because she would do that until I fell asleep. 
Um, so I don't know, maybe for people with disabilities, everybody is different. So it's hard to say, but, you know, maybe when we come in, anybody, it, while they sign confidentiality forms, you know, and rules lists and things like that to say, yes, I will follow these rules. They could also do something like make a list of the things that they need in aftercare so that, yeah. you know, if they're oh traumatized, God. that would be incredible. That would be like, yeah. like that would be, oh, that would be, be such a good idea. I, yeah. Yeah, I want that. Yes. Yeah. So you could just like whip it out and be like, okay, this person is having a trauma response. What do they need? Okay. Here's like an emergency contact and like, okay, somebody go and find a teddy bear stat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this be, I think this would be great things. And I think the more we talk about accessibility for invisible disabilities everywhere, but particularly in kink spaces, I think people who are on like the autism spectrum and other and live with other kinds of disabilities that are invisible um, will feel like they, you know, because I talk to so many kinksters who have invisible disabilities mm-hmm. who don't feel welcome in those spaces and say, I love kink because it does this, but I'm not getting this from there. Yeah. So I think we need to do more of that. So anybody who runs a kink event, I'm looking at you, Dick Woon from the, um, from <laughs> the Off the Cuffs podcast. I know you run and go to this shit and do all all stuff. So maybe you could make one. I'm looking at you, Kevin Patterson, who does poly stuff, not necessarily kink stuff, but I'm talking to anybody that does sex stuff. Put this in your stuff. <laughs> I'll talk to Kevin about it. I'll offer him a blowjob in exchange yeah. for, yeah. Oh. He's one of my partners. <laughs> he is good people. Uh, He's wonderful people. I've had him on the show before. He's good people. Um, such a small world. Jesus. Had him on the show, but he's a, he's a, really good dude um <laughs> but yes kinksters out there think about invisible disabilities when you're planning kink events because access is so much deeper than just a ramp so fucking remember that because yeah yeah um um one of the things you mentioned in the questionnaire that came up a lot in the questionnaire when i was reading it through yesterday Maisha, was was you're working through this idea of trying to love yourself and self-love. I would love to understand from you how your disabilities play a role in how you love yourself. And what is one thing you love about your multiple disabilities? Okay. Um, So we talked about a little bit of this before, right? Um, I am fat. That is so stigmatized. in Western culture and in the United States, like, oh my God, people will come up to me off the street and start offering me advice about how I can lose weight. Oh no, no. It's it's kind of hysterical actually. Like I've decided I'm gonna laugh about it so I don't have to like cry or start screaming or something, yeah. You know, like I've I've been at weddings and total strangers have come up to me and been like, okay, you need to lose weight. Here's how you can do it. And I'm like, what do you, Let's celebrate this person getting married. Like, Y'all can't what the see heck my face, are you doing? My, my jaw just hit the floor. Don't <laughs> fucking do that, people. <laughs> you know, and and also, like, you don't know why somebody is fat. You don't know if the fatness is a result of medication. You don't know if the fatness is a result of bipolar. You don't know where the fatness came from. So you don't get to speak on why it's there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, you know, and um, gosh. I am also. I, I wouldn't say I'm fat, but I'm I'm a I'm a thick boy, um, and it's because you know I can't walk and move around motility, but also because I see people with disabilities who are very skinny because of their disability, and part of me is like, 
if I'm if I'm bigger, a little bit bigger, and have a little bit of like chunk on there, then I'm not gonna I won't waste away as quickly. Andrew, I would call you snuggly. Like that's definitely what you are. You are cuddly. I like that. I'm there for that. That is those are all correct words. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that that is actually in terms of of fat, like that is kind of how I have learned to think of myself. Like it used to be like, oh God, I look like a soft serve ice cream cone. I would look at my weight and look at my rolls and be like, oh, that's what I look like, a soft serve ice cream cone. And then at one point I was like, I fucking love soft serve ice cream. What am I? <laughs> like, you know, and like, um, but it's not just that, like bipolar disorder. And I love how you're calling it bipolar. And I never thought about just calling it bipolar without using disorder. And I need to start working on that because like, why am I calling it a disorder? Um, but yeah, it's, not. it's just what you got. It's just yeah. a thing. Yeah. So this is awesome. Thank you. You've been teaching me so much, Andrew. I love it. Amazing. Um, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. You can yeah. go to that Patreon and just, just up those amounts whenever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. $20 a month. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like it really has made me sensitive to the way that I am behaving and really careful watching how other people are reacting to me. And in watching how other people are reacting to me, I am seeing how other people are acting. And it's cool because then I am like, I'm, I'm forced to be a lot more empathetic. Um, And that's been super helpful in the job that I'm working and in my dating life and my sex life. Oh my God. Um. (laughs) I have, so many questions about that. Um, but first, wait, so which which part made you be more empathetic? The bipolar or the fatness or both? Um, the bipolar. Definitely. Because okay. we went off on a tangent there and I was like, wait, which one are we, which, what? Yeah, no, I'm talking about bipolar now. I'm um, a little all over the place. And so, so, okay, because we also kind of mentioned earlier that maybe the fat was also a disability, sort of. Maybe. Um, yes. yes. Uh, so how do you, what is one thing you, other than loving soft serve ice cream, which I also do, what, what part of your fatness <laughs> do you, um, do you, would you say you love? I mean, there are different things like, um, oh my God, <laughs> this is funny, but like my boobs have expanded so much and like. Amazing. I, like I'm not like I love my boobs and you guys can't see this but I'm hoisting them right now I mean like, I just saw them it's, <laughs> that's amazing I'm never, yeah, it's great it's great but like I mean it's just been like I mean for the renaissance fair there are my corsets that like do amazing things oh, now yeah. and I can... let's go back to there for a minute oh yeah okay, so okay, the, the sure. renaissance fair I'm upset okay I don't know if anybody knows this, and I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but I'm obsessed with watching people sew things and like those old time YouTube channels that are like, let's make an 18th century walking skirt. I don't know what the fuck it is about those channels. They are the most relaxing and most calming. I could sit and watch those all day and I will never sew a stitch in my life, but I'll sit and watch that for five hours. Um, So... I'm so interested to learn how like your disability, your your biracialness or or blackness and your 
bipolarness play in the Ren Fair? Like, what? How does that go? Oh wow! Okay. The wonderful thing about Renaissance fairs is they are half historically accurate and half fantasy, Amazing. right? And the idea is you can walk into a Renaissance fair, come as you are, and be whatever the hell you want to be. That's so great. I love it, right? So when I go, I can leave myself at the gate and I can be like, I've gone in as Bastet, the Egyptian cat goddess of fertility and protection from the plague. I have gone as um, Mirama Sultan. Actually, that was a role that I played in 2019 on cast, um, who was, she's Turkish. Um, so she's actually in real life, she's white. Um, but that year on cast, we had a bunch of black people cast as members of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and amazing. Yeah, it was, oh my God, it was so much fun. The guys that I was playing with were just hilarious. And we had everybody yelling and cheering for the Ottoman Empire. And it was great um, being able to bring a little diversity into the Renaissance Fair, um, which you don't usually see at Renaissance Fair. Yeah, usually fairs. it's like pretty white women in, you know, Renaissance themed dresses or like super white dudes and beards. Yeah. In fake faux British accents. And you're just like, oh, all right, well, this is very weird. Or like blacksmiths. Just, Ooh, steamy blacksmiths. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, if anybody wants to be my hot ginger blacksmith, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm <laughs> there for it. But, you know, in, you know, being at those fairs, do you see people with mobility devices there? Do you see people yes. with wheelchairs and stuff? I was, I'm so excited. I can tell you about this. So we have one woman who comes every year. Um, I didn't ask her permission, so I'm not going to tell you her name or anything like that, but she has a scooter. And every year she garbs her scooter in the coolest stuff, right? So one year her scooter was a dragon. And yeah, right? It's so cool. I love that. <laughs> it is. Another year she came in and her scooter was like a steed and she was dressed as a knight. Another year she came in um, with her scooter as a unicorn. This last year that I saw her... <laughs> Her scooter was a death horse. Like it was just a skeleton and around its neck, it had a license plate that just said 2020. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I love this woman to pieces. Like she's so great. Every year I'm like, please, can I take a photo of your, like, yeah. So she's cool. That's the best. And I, you know, I never thought of Ren Fairs as accessible or, you know, but, ne- and I always, cause I always thought they were like supposed to be historically accurate. So like, mm-hmm. so like why the fuck would the same people be there? But, you know, it's cool that it gets to be this line between fantasy and reality. And yeah. like, so, hey, I don't know if there's any in Toronto, if there are any Ren Fairs that I'm missing, I'm down. If anybody is listening, who has a Ren fair and wants some disability representation anywhere, I'll come and fucking dress up and I'll like, I'm there for that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some are better than others, right? Like part of the problem is just the grounds itself. Um, I know some that I go to, 
they're really steep hills. So it's hard for chairs to get around on them. You know, some have really muddy grounds. I used to joke about one that I worked at um, because the grounds were muddy, it would flood really easily. And there were so many geese and the geese would just shit all over the place. So I'd be like, we have mud, we have rain, we have everything but cholera, you know? and. <laughs> I mean, and it was true because, oh God, that was a horrible fair. But like the one that I work at now most frequently, we're really accessible. There are a few places that are harder to get to, but we make sure we have the right parking. We have cement um, walkways. We have um, a whole weekend where we hire a crap ton of ASL interpreters. Um, and they're up on the stage interpreting with every show and they'll accompany people to different vendors. So it's really easy to communicate. And it's a, it's a pretty accessible fair. It's pretty cool. Well, you and I will talk off the air about fucking going there together because that sounds like so much fun. Yes. I want to do it. Yes, 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 yes. That would be amazing. Um, one of the things you said a second ago and I want to touch on, you said that, you know, your bipolar really, you know, plays a role in your sex life too. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so this is a funny thing. Whenever my, my um, psychiatrist is evaluating me, she'll be like, okay, she'll be asking me the evaluation questions to see like how I'm doing, right? If I'm doing better or worse. Yeah. And when she asks to see if I'm doing anything manic, she'll be like, so do you have any manic sexual episodes? And I always kind of laugh. I'm like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I think we just found the title of this episode for sure. <laughs> like what, what qualifies as a manic sexual episode? Because, um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I tend to find my fantasies and live them out because I believe fantasies should be played out. Go do them. Like almost everybody can find a fantasy and adapt it. Damn so right. yeah, that's, that's my belief. Like, let's figure out a way to adapt your fantasy. So it's accessible. What is one of your, what is one of your fantasies that incorporates Actually, wait, we'll go, we'll, I'll, I'll ask that question in a second. Go back to how does your bipolar like impact your great sex? Okay, so um, great sex. I do have times where I'm really, really driven to have sex. And it's phenomenal because I have partners who are really, really driven to have sex. And I'm polyamorous. <laughs> so I have more than one partner, which is beautiful. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Um, and there are at least two of them who are like, sex? Yes, please. Um, so I can just go over and, you know, provided they're, they're free, which is more difficult um, because they're, they're both highly um, busy people, really professional, highly busy people. Um, but we can just, mm, how many orgasms do you want in a night? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It's great. All of them. I haven't had sex in 17 months. Thank you, pandemic. I know. Uh, so all of them. Wow. That's, I mean. Yeah. I mean. It's it's that good. Jealous. Yeah. But that's great for you. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great for you. I want to, I want to like help you fulfill your fantasy. I mean, like, I know I am not your type, but like, how can I find people? How can I set you up on dates? Like, oh God, I want to play matchmaker so bad. I mean, just give me a lumberjack who wears plaid and chops <laughs> wood. And I, 
I'm set. It's good. I mean, I know carpenters. I mean, that that's close enough. Uh, <laughs> what is one of your biggest fantasies that 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 incorporates your disability that you haven't played out yet that you want to? So, like, that's that's not something that I have ever thought about. I will be totally honest. Um, but in terms of sexual mania, oh fuck yes! Like. I totally want to fuck all the people ever. Like I, and <laughs> God, I am, I am so lucky that I have partners who are like, that would be so hot to watch. Like that would be so hot to be part of. So cool. um, yeah. Oh, I mean, like one of my partners is like, I will plan this. I will hold you down while other people do this to you. I'm like, yes, yes, please. Can we do this? With consent um, and love, of course, of course. Just, oh, Absolutely. Without consent, it is not sex. I knew this already, but I just wanted yeah. to say it because you were like, they said they'd hold me. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that every listening was like, consent is there. Don't worry. Yes, yes, yes. For all of the listeners, <laughs> please, dear God, like, please get consent. Please do a lot of talking beforehand to make sure you know what's okay and what's not okay. Consent and please the- make sure, yeah, you have like some sort of way of communicating when you need to stop or when you want to go more. Wow. Wow. The sexual appetite on you is like intense. (laughs) Right. Cause why not? We're life is short. We don't know when we're going to go. Especially people with disabilities. We don't know when we're going to go. Could be fucking tomorrow. Could be like a month from now. Yeah. 20 years from now who knows who yeah. knows um tell me about now one of the things that we were talking about before we hit record and we've been talking about for a while now kind of like on the whatsapp on the on the communication machines is you're writing a kink guidebook are you well you started writing a kink guidebook. have you finished it you're writing a kink guidebook around disability so um, yeah tell me about that Okay, so I've got a first draft. Um, I want to expand it, but if anybody is interested in checking out the first draft, I don't know, could they email you and you could, they can, they can definitely email me. Um, they can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And... and if you could pass it on to me, I will get them a first draft of this thing. Um, so they could take a look at it and let me know if there's anything that I should edit or add or take out or, you know, whatever. I'm looking for feedback. Um, but what, what kind this of, is. Yeah. To, yeah. That, yeah. Go there. Tell me what it is. Tell me what yeah, it is. totally. Um, I think especially people with disabilities, we're frequently not seen as sexual people or we're seen as like too much or something that's like it's easier to just step away from. Um, and it gets to be something that we internalize. Right. So um, hard. Yeah. 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 To the point where like we're not even exploring ourselves um, or we're not like it's hard to talk to. Um, people when we do get the opportunity to be with other people um, about what we need in order to have sex or to um, have a relationship um, or to be kinky, whether or not those things are related or happening together. So I wanted to put together a guidebook that had a little bit of how to explore your body, 
a little bit of basic sex ed, just in case that was not something that you got because people are dumb. And then a little bit of like, okay, so here are some really cool things about kink. And um, here's how to do it safely because I didn't know when I started. So let me help you. So, you know, when you get started, if that's something you want to do, and then it goes through, there's a checklist that goes through a bunch of different ways that people like being kinky, just so you can take the time to fantasize about these different ways that, you know, you might want to be kinky and check off like, yeah, I'd like to do that. Or mm, I'll try, or no, that's definitely something that I never want to do. Keep that the heck away from me, you know? (laughs) And then at the back, there's this kind of workbook where you can go through things like, okay, here are the times of day that I am the most active and I think I could have sex, or here are the times of day that because of my medication or whatever, um, I, my libido is low or I can't have sex or, you know, I can't be kinky or whatever it happens to be, or here are the ways that I need my room set up, or I need to be taken care of, or I need to take care of myself or whatever. Here are the things that I need after sex or after a kink scene or whatever. Um, And then you basically get to set up your list of here are the things that I like to do. Here are my turn ons, my turn offs. And the whole guide is you writing a guide to your own sexuality. And you can keep it for just yourself or you can give it to your partner. So you have an embarrassment free way of saying like, look, this is what I want for my sex or for my relationships or for my kinks. And I just think that's so important so we can talk about things like, dude, I might poop without having shame around it. Story of my life. Story of my life. Dude, right? I might shit on you. Yeah. yeah. And that's, God, that's like so key because like, okay, we'll take that as an example. I used to have so much of a freak out about that. Like, and it turned out to some people that doesn't really matter. Like, they're just like, yeah, that happens, whatever. It's true, but when someone says that, you're like, my brain goes to what? You're supposed to be way more upset about this. Why are you so relaxed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff. Like for me, I, I have a period sometimes. Like, you know, how do you feel about having sex when I'm on my period? Well, some people are kind of into that. And I had no idea about that for a long period of time. Um, And when I found out about that, like there was a mental adjustment that I had to make about like, am I cool with this or not? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, it's nice to be able to talk with your partner about stuff like this before you're having sex and before you have that awkward moment. Yeah. It's like something I used to always say was that you're literally, and so with this workbook, you're literally storyboarding your sex. Yeah. Partner, that's, that's great. Yeah. And a lot of people feel like they have to like hide things or it'll be just really uncomfortable to talk about stuff like that. But it doesn't really have to be. It can be more along the lines of like, I'm going to fuck you so hard. Everything you ate is going to come out the other end. <laughs> like... You're going to shit yourself. That's how hard I'm going to fuck you. I don't know how I'd feel if my partner said it to me. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> I would feel. I don't know how I would feel. But, I, but yeah, 
it allows for those conversations to be doing something we can we can explore together or you and a person yeah. can, can explore together yeah um and for the record somebody said that to a friend of mine and my friend was like yes please amazing <laughs> yeah amazing. so it all depends on who you are right how, how uh, like did, did you uh, did you use the workbook to explore your own relationship to your bipolarness and sex like how what so i mean the workbook is designed so it doesn't have to be specifically for your disability it could be for anybody no matter what their sexuality what their ability or disability whatever um so i filled it out i did not fill it out with specifically my my bipolar in mind um but yeah it does it does take that into consideration because there are times that i just can't have sex because of bipolar so it'll say like what times do you think you can have sex and you could say like can at this time because yeah, well, it's just very upfront about the fact that, like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you, and you just have to be okay with that. And if you can't accept that, then we really can't be in, you know, uh, a regular... A fuckship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't do fuckship with you if you can't get my my lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I was... I, I'm out of the questions, man. We did it. We did it. We did it. All right, cool. I Um, hope I was coherent. Yes, you were definitely. Was there anything about anything else you want to let the people know about bipolar, sex, disability, anything that that we can? Yes, I want everybody to know that they are sexy. Oh, it's true. Because there are so many people who think that they aren't. And like, oh my God, like you really are. You just have to like find it in yourself and be confident. And like, you might never have a partner. And a lot of people say that and they're like, it's it's defeat. But you know what? Fuck that. It's, you it's are still sexy. Honest. Yeah. I love, I love just, and I, you know, I've had that conversation with my, with my mom, my family a couple times now where I've said like, I don't think that that's ever going to be on in the cards for me. I've tried every way to make this go. And every time I try, it doesn't work, but fucking my hot sex worker when I want to. Oh my God. That seems to be working just fucking great. So like, yeah, I think that we have to open our eyes to different ways Mm-hmm. of expressing relationship that isn't tied to I'm going to be with you forever at some point I want to ask you about that because that that just sounds awesome having a sex well, worker that you can go fuck. on go on huh. ask me now yeah what's it like to fuck a sex worker <laughs> it, it's like it's like fucking anyone like it's not it like I think the first couple times I did it I was nervous because you know, you spend money. You you spend money with them to spend time with them. And and anyone who is listening, who and if you're listening by now, you know I fuck sex workers. Like deal with it. But <laughs> anyone who like doesn't know how this works, when you spend time with a sex worker, you um you don't pay for them. You pay for their time. So you pay by the hour for whatever it is you're doing. So if all you wanted to do with yes. this worker was sit on the couch and have a chat cool but you just paid 300 bucks for that if all you want to do with this worker was like go around your neighborhood and hold the hands cool but you're paying 300 bucks an hour for that 
So for me, it was like, I have a very specific need. I'm wanting to get my dick sucked on a regular basis. And I want somebody that I trust. And I want somebody that I can show how to do things. And not how, I didn't want random hookups anymore. And, you know, once now that me and my sex worker, John, have been doing it for four years, it's not, it's like fucking your friend. It's like fucking a friend. And we're, we're, it's easy. It's, it's, it's friendly. It's fun. It's not scary. The first couple times were terrifying, but now it's way more relaxed. And I'm really proud of it. Oh my God. I want to ask you so much more about like, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to ask you more about the relationship and the friendship and how that came to be. And that's awesome. I mean, I think it just grows. And I think, you know, I said to him very early on, you can play with me around. You can play with me as you learn about disability. We can, we can you know, talk about this stuff. Um, and I made it very open-ended so that he felt comfortable. Um, and it, it was fun. It's been really fun. And I'll tell you more about it off air because I, <laughs> I can see, I can see you're eagerly waiting like so many, you have so many questions, <laughs> which we'll get to in a, when I press off. But Maisha Elone, um, how can the people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? How can they support you? So I really want folks to support Disability Pride, and that is at www.disabilitypridepa.org. And we do a lot of fun stuff. We have um, events randomly throughout the year, and then we just finished it this year. But every year we have this big annual um, event for about 10 days. And it's all of these talks about disability and we might have like disability and parenting. We have tons of sex and disability talks. Um, we have those throughout the year too. So you haven't missed the only ones. Um, and we'll probably try to get Andrew to more of those because Andrew is awesome. I'll do more for sure. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Um, but yeah, so www.disabilitypridepa.org is a good way to find me. Maisha, this was so fun. Thank you for sitting down with me. It was such a good time. And we will shine a bright light on your stuff again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for and being here. Yeah. Take care. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Gerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. 
any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Kriplin Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.